then we look over and we just see like uh, like smoke coming up. We're like, oh, that's weird. What's going on? Eventually, like we were just getting busy with all the planes that were being rejected. So we just had to ask, like, hey, what's going on? They're like, oh, we just had a plane crash land, basically. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a fire truck driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, world? This is Blake Fletcher, the Half Hour Intern. In today's episode, I'll talk to Gabe Koa about being an air traffic controller. So we'll learn all about what it's like to kind of have people's lives in your hands while you are on the job and how you deal with the stress of that. Um, And perhaps more importantly, we'll learn if Gabe is able to get up and go pee whenever he wants to during the day or if he just has to sit there and hold it all day long while he's directing airplanes. So without further ado, here is Air Traffic Controller. Gabe, thanks so much for being on the show, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I've been wanting to listen. (laughs) Yeah, so... Is it like really annoying for you to talk about your job? I would have to imagine that being an air traffic controller, like anyone that you meet out at a bar or anywhere and you're just starting to meet them and they ask you, what do you do? And you tell them that you're an air traffic controller, that they immediately have to know everything about it. Does that happen all the time? The thing with me is when that happens, yeah, like you want to know, but it's kind of hard to get into it all of it within like a short amount of time in, in like a bar setting and a lot of the times people confuse it with people that are with the cones on the actual like ramp so from there <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah definitely i always get that first They're like oh you're an air traffic controller then they start doing like the arm motions with the cones i'm like <laughs> i'm like no that's not what i do but thank you that's <laughs> like, so funny i would never even think that yeah i always get that but when they start asking, like, oh, you do this and that, they actually know what an air traffic controller is, and they yeah, end up asking if I'm a radar controller or the tower controller. And they're always like, isn't that one of the world's most stressful jobs? And, like, are you – how do you handle it? Like, how, how are you able to do all this and that? Do you work with a lot of older people? What are they like and stuff? Yeah. That, so that was already a lot of the questions that I wanted to <laughs> ask you. So. <laughs> Yeah, and especially after um, in Breaking Bad season two, where there was like that incredibly crazy scene where that guy's daughter dies and Uh he gets so stressed out and it leads to these two planes crashing into each other because he Uh just like can't handle the stress of his daughter's death. I imagine that that probably leads to a lot of questions about kind of the stress of the job and how that impacts your job and everything. Yeah, it actually, it doesn't really impact, I mean, it gets to us, but we... What we what we controllers normally th- I call it is like we leave home at home once we enter the facility we're just at work, and another thing with that too is like when we're working and we're actually stressed out, we're t- kind of trained not to take that stress home with us and stuff. So we just leave t- we living two separate worlds, work world and like our own personal life. They're totally separate and, every, and like we try to keep it that way. Yeah. How possible do you feel like that is really though? Because I, so I had an interview a couple months ago with a vascular surgeon mm-hmm. um, that does vascular surgery on these patients. And he obviously, you know, any, any surgeon is supposed to do that exact same thing. Um, yeah. But obviously, if someone like died or something while you were working on him that day, like you are mm-hmm. definitely going to take that home with you. Um, yeah. If you're having a really crazy time on the job, I imagine you you take that home with you afterwards, right? Yeah, I mean, it does happen. 
it's just it takes a while and you actually learn how to keep everything separate and there have been times where i was like having some issues in my personal life and like your my coworkers, they, we all work together and we're seriously like physically super close all day so they kind of know when someone's ha- not having like such a good time and we we don't really ask them what's going on but you can just tell after a while and then you can just like just hint like hey do you need a break do you need to do this and that it's like you can just go downstairs and do some training like i don't know you just know like personal life is personal and stuff so yeah for sure so this is about to lead into a bunch of other questions that i want to ask so before i ask any of those let's go ahead and just set the stage i guess with what exactly an air traffic controller does you mentioned a couple of different types of air traffic controller yes there are all there are all kinds of different types um Let's start with like just the basics, the very beginning. Like say, like when the plane leaves from one destination, goes to another. So when the plane's there, it's loading up people. The first thing that a pilot does is he calls the ground controller, which is a position within the tower environment, and um, it's one of the key roles down there. So the ground controller, what they do is they taxi the planes to and from the runway. They make sure they don't if there's like a narrow taxiway they make sure there's like no obstructions and stuff like that that one plane can go at a time they do that they uh, issue clearances that can also be a different position in the tower but most of them are combined with the ground controller they issue the clearances like altitudes the instrument departure procedures the frequencies within the sector they'll be going to and their requested altitudes whether or not it's correct and what the initial altitude will be with the instrument type of departure. So they issue all the basic flight plan information. So in terms of a passenger, if like someone like me is a passenger on the plane, they're the person who's deciding when our plane gets to take off. Um, there's a lot more to it, but yes, if it's just a simple VFR like type of departure, you're just wanting to go from like, say Portland to say, or say like Lake Tahoe. If you're just simple, just going on a beautiful day, you just jump on a plane and you call the ground control and ground control. Yeah, they basically have control over your plane and what time you'll be departing. Okay. Um, yeah. So, yeah, from there, they get the clearances and stuff. Say like an international, uh, international flight, say uh, an airline type of flight going from Portland to San Francisco. So the pilot, they get all the clearances and stuff, the frequencies, and once they depart, are ready with all that they request a taxi to the runway ground controller tells them how to get there on these routes that are normally alphabetized um like main taxiways as you start something like goes from a to z and you just got to know based off your pilot knowledge which taxiways those are because you should be familiar with the airport you're flying at okay that's what i was going to say don't don't pilots go around to all different types of airports how are they supposed to know each and every airport um, a lot of these newer pilots are newer airplanes. They have like GPS uh, maps built into them so uh, they yeah. can actually just look at their screens and maps. And there are also um, books that you can find online. We'll just bring up the exact airport and all the taxiways, the widths of the runway, the lengths and stuff like that. Okay. It's all public information out there. Yeah, yeah. So the government, I'm sorry, the government, the internet is making it a lot easier on, on pilots nowadays, like yes. everything, everything else, I guess. Mm-hmm. So how about after you after you take off? That then goes to a different air traffic okay. controller? Yes. But, right. Okay, ground controller taxis you to the runway, and then uh, they either tell you to call the tower or 
they have like a certain spot where you're you have to hold short of based off of like other instruments and stuff like that for landings you have to have protected zones for antennas and other stuff so you would stop there and then you'd switch to tower they'll give you the frequency but if you're a good pilot you should already know the frequency (laughs) ground control they also give the weather and other information like the altimeter which gives you the uh um, it basically helps the radar system track your altitude, basically. Okay. So, yeah. Anyways, the ground controller does that, and they switch over to tower. Tower, they have control over the runway. They control the planes that are in the air, that are landing and departing the runway within the local airspace. So, once they call tower ready for departure, tower will make sure everything's good. There's nobody on the runway, nobody within a short landing distance to interfere um, there's also other things like wake turbulence times, um, um, just like departures with other types of aircraft. Say you have a, a slow plane that just departed in front of you, you're going to have to like give some space so the plane behind them can actually have time to depart normally rather than slowing down and stuff. So you got to make sure there's a lot of room for stuff like that. So these first two different types that you explained, the tower air traffic control and the ground air traffic control, those mm-hmm. both need to be on the property at the airport and have visibility of the runway? Yes. Okay. That's part of the requirements for taxing uh, an aircraft, actually, for ground control is you have to visually see the aircraft. Okay. Um, and, so which of these one. which of these are you are you a tower air traffic controller or a ground um well tower con- tower facilities they have all of those combined within the tower so i'm a certified ground controller a tower controller we call them local within the tower com- our air traffic control community we don't call them tower we call them local but for pilots they call us tower it's very strange because <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so I'm certified all the way through within my tower, like every position in there. That's cool. Get to mix yeah. it up a bit, keep it fresh. Yeah. So, yeah, and tower controllers, like I said, they control all this stuff in the airspace and the runway. Um, and this ground control. There's also a, another position called flight data. And what they do is they're the ones that work on the flight plans. They're kind of like a secretary of the tower in a way. Um they write at the altitude, say like ground control is busy. They don't have time to be like looking at all flight plans, writing out all the altitudes and frequencies and making sure all the sectors are correct with based on other runways and stuff within the inner or the uh, airspaces. So the flight data person does that for you. And they also do the weather. Um, they uh, do other simple things like just making sure other air facilities within the area have the correct weather and information everything's being relayed relayed correctly and stuff so that's what a flight data person does how about uh, are they also responsible for or is somebody else responsible for when a flight is just you know halfway on its trip you know in the middle of nowhere who's tracking the plane then and making sure that it's not just going to run into another plane in the middle of the air okay so yeah okay back to this so there's a tower environment like i said the smaller one like it's basically what i do and then outside of the airspace is a larger airspace. Normally, it's a, it's a like a sectored out approach control. So within the, outside of Olympia's airspace, Olympia Towers airspace, you got Seattle Approach, and they control a gigantic. Um, it kind of looks like a weird, like I don't really know how to describe the airspace, but it's like a big circle around basically Seattle Tacoma area, and it's huge. And at both ends. 
uh, the northern and the southern portion. There's like a little like square portion that comes out. You can find this online. Just look up Seattle Approach Airspace, and it'll have a quick little map right there. Mm-hmm. But they um, they control a gigantic sector out there, and what they do is they grab the plane you t- uh, departed. And they take that plane through their airspace and then they give them altitudes and vectors based on these gigantic road or these gigantic maps, basically roads in the sky. And you take them on these little vectors, line them up. And then from there, the pilot knows the flight plan. So he knows which intersection to go to. And from there, it's kind of like connect the dots throughout the sky. And at the same time, there's altitudes that he has to be uh, going up and down. And it's pretty interesting. Now, is that... Is that all kind of being given to the pilot at one point in time on the flight or every time he enters a new airspace, they're checking in with him no matter what. So you just are kind of constantly getting bothered as a pilot by somebody checking in with you like, hey, now do this. Hey, now do this. Um, Yeah, they kind of just sit and listen. But like I said, they have a flight plan. They filed for it. So they should know which route they'll be going. And they should know this whenever they are talking to ground controller. Um, So from there... They just basically listen or they they'll check in every now and then with the approach control and tell them, hey, we're blah, 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 miles away from this intersection or approach will catch them and just tell them you'll be reaching this point at this time or you'll be here at this altitude. I'm not really too familiar with the approach control. I've only done tower controlling and I have like a small amount of knowledge on the actual approach control and every sector is different. Every yeah environment is like they have their own like names for everything basically and different altitudes and numbers and stuff. So I can't really speak for a certain type of airspace on its own. Um, but yeah, they should controllers are no, they know what they're doing. So they'll be controlling the plane to which points and stuff. Okay. So you work on ground and in the tower. So, or local, uh, local as, as we call it. Um, so, it, they they say that takeoffs and landings are the most dangerous part of of being on a plane. Is that is that true? I mean, it sounds like there's a lot more people kind of watching you and taking care of you for your takeoffs and landings. I think with that, it's mo- mostly for the actual aircraft. There's also um, stuff like wind shear. Um, I'm not sure if you ever seen videos or anything like that on, say, like you know, Tucson has microbursts and stuff like that. Well, you mean a microburst of wind? Yeah, where just like a big rush of wind will come from the sky and just out of nowhere kind of and just smack down. Well, anyways, we don't know about those. And every now and then we'll get like advisories or we'll see like certain things going on in the outside and we'll tell aircraft about that. Um, So that's part of the reason why it's such a critical time of a critical phase of flight is what we call it. Because of small little things like that, the wind could easily push a plane out of the way. There's also um, things on the runway that we can't see but are still there, like um, just foreign objects sometimes fall off of planes. <laughs> um, like the the other day at my airport, we had like a fuel cap fell off one of the uh, planes and it was oh, on the damn. runway. It wasn't anything crazy, but still it could pop a tire, you know, if you land directly on it it's high, at high speeds. Yeah, for um, sure. What else is there? Um, animals sometimes find their way on the <laughs> runway that's pretty fun yeah we'd always coma, get like foxes yeah foxes big birds geese um and you really don't have that much time too to fix anything so 
say you just departed, you're going up, and all of a sudden your engine cuts out. It's like you can't just turn around and glide back towards the runway because if it's a busy place, there's already going to be planes departing right after you. Yeah. So you got to you got to have altitude and time to do things. But the lower you are to the ground, the chances of anything bad happening are just it just becomes more and more worse. Basically, if you're in a uh, like a really big plane, like a, a very large commuter plane, can it really like glide and coast anyways? Like if, if the engines cut out, uh, is it just going to fall down really quick or can that glide just on its um, own? It can glide. Yeah. Anything that's in the air can glide. Um, there's actually a really good story about this. And I can't remember. I, one of my older coworkers, he's like in his sixties. Um, he told me about this one pilot. I can't remember what happened, but Oh, I, I think it was the one where they ran out of fuel because they're changing their system from like the Imperial to like the pounds <laughs> or something like that. Damn. This was like way back in the day. And I guess they did it wrong and they didn't have enough fuel. But on paper, it said they did only because there is a difference between Imperial and stuff like that, and like the metric system. Anyway, this plane, it was a big airliner and it was flying, ran out of gas on one engine. And they're like, oh, that's weird. And they thought it was just like a weird or like light or some faulty like switch or something so they try to like equal out the gas with the other engine but that one runs out and they're like okay but this pilot that was flying he has years and years and years of uh, flying glider planes and he was able to fly this plane to a safe airport and glide the big airliner down basically wow very lucky yeah yeah very very lucky actually that guy knew how to fly glider planes yeah that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was reading online that pi- from air traffic control, pilots have instructions that they kind of have to obey. And then there's yeah. also advisories that they're allowed to disregard at their own discretion. What like what are the things that they the kind of the difference between the two, I guess? Okay, so the rules they have to are they have to follow are definitely IFR flight rules. This instrument flight rules. That's what IFR means. Um, so, like, say there's fog or the visibility is, like, varying. It's, like, well, like just like Tucson again. You know how it, like, rains in certain parts and it's, like, nice and clear in certain parts. Well, there's certain rules you have to follow to make sure you're flying in the path that air traffic controllers know you're at, even though they won't be able to see you. So you have to follow these rules and you can't just deviate from them unless there's... Um, most aircraft nowadays, the larger ones, um, they have a TCAS. It's a terrain collision avoidance system. And is it terrain? I can't remember the exact <laughs> what the acronym means right now. Yeah, that sounds like sounds like it's um, right if it's TCAS. Yeah, and they have all these other little systems that'll come up. So this thing will alert them and tell them there's another plane within the general air area. And then our rules for air traffic controllers is if somebody's responding to a TCAS, a resolution advisory, then that means a computer on the plane itself sees something that we aren't aware of. And the plane has to take the little measures that the computer tells you to. And they're just like quick, like, Hey, plane here, turn right and climb basically. So you just have to, the pilot will have to follow the little TCAS machine. It'll tell them which way to go. And then once the resolution is resolved, then they'll come back to controllers and say, everything's good. Now what do we do? And then that's when controllers take back over. That's interesting. I, I yeah. mean, is that, are we close to that 
kind of being the way planes are going to go just in general in the air and not um, needing air traffic control for anything other than takeoffs and landings? See, with that type of um, thing, like I used to work in San Francisco at uh, San Carlos. Um, it came in handy because a lot of times student pilots of smaller planes, not students, but I just want just pilots, some pilots, they're just not very knowledgeable or they don't pay attention to what they're told. And airspace is out there in San Francisco. Everything is so smashed together that um, the airport I worked at, every now and then we'll get a plane coming from San Carlos to Oakland. It's a quick little flight, and you have to stay below a certain altitude because San Francisco's airspace is right next to us, basically. It goes into our airspace. And we got to keep them below a certain altitude. And if they barely peak above that, planes on sfo's final their tcas alarm will go off and think there's another plane coming towards them oh it's not so then those planes the bigger airlines sometimes they'll have to follow these rules that this machine's telling them and divert from the approach course and the plane will have to go around eventually all because this pilot here didn't listen and stay below a certain altitude yeah totally so and then they come back on the controller thing is our fault but it's not. We told the guy what to do, and he peaked above that altitude and just totally forgot. So talk to us more about some of, I guess, the other stressful points of the job, because, I mean, that sounds pretty terrible. Okay. Well, I started in the uh, Air Force, and being a trainee, they teach you... You mean you started doing air traffic control for the Air Force? Yes. Okay. And what they teach you is... um to have a really they have just like really thick skin tough skin and a lot of controllers they they they're really hard on you basically because they're training you to do what they're doing but they're loaning their ticket their like certification to help train someone who like me at the time had no idea what was really going on so i just kind of like jumped in and if i messed up then they would be in trouble and then the supervisor would be in trouble. So it's like, yeah, it's kind of, it can be stressful. Just, you have to constantly watch these new trainees. And along with that, there's also um, student pilots and student pilots can be pretty stressful too, because they're just learning and they don't know how to say certain things and they forget small details, which can be like pretty big in the very end. Like give us um, an give us an example of uh, I don't know if you have anything that happened recently that w- that was stressful like that. Um, let's see. When I was in training, this was years ago. I think actually, like I I'm gonna like kind of brag right now, but uh, <laughs> I went I went through training pretty easy. I had no real fallbacks. I um I wasn't like in stop training at all. We just kind of, I, I went through kind of just smooth. I, I was one of the very few that never cried, but I, you know me, I'm like a very calm like person. Yeah. I, I don't come off as a stereotypical air traffic control type. Um, but a lot of times there, I, I was one of my trainees back in Germany, um, super smart kid. And he was, he knew all his stuff. He got all his stuff going for him. He's just very smart. And, there was a time, his first day in training as a local trainee, there was, was just like one plane after another, just smooth stuff, easy stuff. And then sooner or later, people started wanting to, like, they wanted to play in a pattern. Things got a little bit more heavy and heavy. And I was letting him go just to see how far he could go. And I'm 
pretty relaxed and I have pretty good control on things. And there was a point where everybody else in the tower, they were starting to stress out because they felt like he needed help, but I knew he was okay. Yeah. And people in tower were like, Gabe, don't let him do that. I'm like, no, he knows what he's doing. And sure enough, as soon as I said that, my trainee, he picked up that little thing and he fixed it right, right there. But it was like it was starting to be like snowball on him basically because he would stutter on something, had to reset, had to like say it again. Another plane would call up. Next, you know, he's like, he's getting he's uh, getting backed up on the frequency, talk, yeah, telling yeah. people what to do. And so finally, like there was a point where he just turned around and looked at me, and he he was just like stuck. And then I just told him to like step back, and I went in there and I cleared up everything, made sure everybody did everything they were supposed to, made sure all the planes saw each other, and then. It was back to smooth sailing. Then he got back in as soon as he figured out what was going on. And then same thing, same exact thing happened again. I let him go <laughs> as far as he could. He he was sweating by the end of it. And all my other controller coworkers that were certified were like pretty stressed out too because of how far I was letting him go. But I knew the kid. Like I was training him since day one. So I knew he knew what he was doing. But, but he just had some like things he needs to work on, you know? Yeah, that's got to be. So those are fun. That's got to be so stressful that it's like if you make one mistake, that's just going to kind of compound because now you Mm -hmm. have less time to take care of the next thing and then less time for the next thing and less time for the next thing. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. You got to speak like clear and you got to know like what you're going to say before you say it. And there's also like the way I see it is like um, plane takes off. I tell them turn left. Sometimes they mix their left and right up like a normal human being does and they turn right and you just got to know like there are certain outs and certain ways to fix things. There are all kinds of ways to fix things actually. So it's like constantly what ifs and going on in my head whenever I'm working and it's busy. What's the worst mistake you've ever made? Me? I really, um, let me think. I haven't had anything bad. I would say... There was one time where I had my certification pulled and I was suspended for like a a small amount, but it wasn't, well, it's my supervisor. I don't really want, (laughs) I mean, he was, uh, so I had this plane going from Tucson International going towards the east and I also had planes in a pattern, but they had each other in sight. But my supervisor at the time, he had something else going on in a different position watching another person and when he looked up he saw these two planes get get close to each other but they had each other in sight they're vfr planes and the rule with that is see and avoid as long as they have each other in sight they're good but he thought i didn't know about the other guy and i was like yeah i knew the mooney was crossing underneath them and they both saw each other and because he wasn't really he didn't have his full attention on local he was paying attention to what was going on ground control he missed that part and he was like he was already frustrated and flustered and i kind of gave him an attitude (laughs) <laughs> and <laughs> so he just told me to get out and I just left. I was like, okay, whatever. So basically sure enough, your worst on, day was someone else's fault. It wasn't even your own fault. Yeah. Well, on my record, it says my, my certifications were pulled and that's what I was most mad about. I was like, this is not, this is not my fault at all. Like I, I had control over the situation. It's, but then I, and then like in the end it was like, I can't really sell up my supervisor because there's always going to be like this weirdness now. And it's like, we just, he pulled me aside later on. He's like, Hey, I'm sorry that I did this and that he's like, I already told the, 
management, like the whole situation. He's like, let's just get you back in real quick. I'm like, yeah. He apologized. He did everything he could. So, yeah. Ah, interesting. I haven't really had anything bad or scary. Um, I've seen some stuff happen, but it's it was always the aircraft themselves. Oh, really? Like um, when I worked in San Francisco, I've seen like planes land and what they do is like uh, they kind of just lose control of the landing aircraft and they just kind of spin and go off the runway. I've seen two do that. And they the actual plane starts spinning. Yeah, it That's... was a smaller plane. It was like a small Cessna. As a tail dragger, it has like the um, the wheel on the back tail. Yeah, yeah. So he landed, and then he um, had they call them like ground loops. Yeah, and the back of his plane just started spinning towards the front, and he just spun off the runway and tipped over, broke his wing, and yeah, I've seen that twice. Um, what else? I think those are just the craziest stuff I've ever seen. Um, there was one time. During an air show at Davis Monthan in Tucson, we saw a, uh, an older, like, I can't remember what type it was, this old, like, fighter jet from, like, the 60s. It landed with its gear up. So it was that. It just scraped all down the runway and then it caught on fire. But wow. the, everybody was fine. Um, I, uh, there was a plane, cra- or an A 10 who crashed, like, way back in the day at the Spangdalem in Germany. So I was at the tower for that, but I wasn't working at the moment. Um, the SFO, the most recent one, the SFO crash landing. Yeah. I was working at San Carlos at the time. I was actually working local. And we look over and we just see like uh, like smoke coming up. We're like, oh, that's weird. What's going on? And sure enough, all the planes we were departing towards SFO were being rejected and sent back towards San Carlos. And they couldn't tell us what was going on. So eventually, like, we were just getting busy with all the planes that were being rejected. So we just had to ask, like, hey, what's going on? They're like, oh, we just had a plane land or crash land, basically. Like, oh, all right. So I watched all, like, the big black plumes of smoke come up from SFO during that day. It was pretty cool. Yeah, that was crazy. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like you've mostly worked at, like, smaller regional airports. Is that for a reason like do you have to put in a certain number of years at regional airports before you can go to larger airports or is that just what you would rather be doing yeah well lately since the hiring or the sequester that happened recently it kind of um messed up the application processes and their way they hire people for the faa so that funding was kind of suspended and they weren't taking actual applications for people who have a small tower experience and they just recently opened it back up back actually and uh, right now i'm hired as an fa controller i'm just waiting on my list of which airport they or which airports they have available so i might be i actually have no idea where i'll be moving to in the next couple of weeks <laughs> so you will not get to stay at the place you're at or you want to move anyways and they're going to give you a no, list so you I'm, can choose. right now i'm working contract um controlling and it's Essentially, I am an FAA certified air traffic controller, but I don't work directly for them. And what I'm trying to do is get into larger airports, and I just found out I'm hired. So, yeah, right now I'm, I'm hired. I'm waiting, and I'll, eventually I'll be directly hired by the government, the FAA. Awesome, man. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. So I imagine, and that actually brought me to the next question I wanted to ask anyways, that there's probably pretty good benefits than um, being an air traffic controller. If it's a government job like that, do you get typical government job benefits? 
Um, yeah, the uh, they're unionized, so they have all that going on. The pay is a lot better. The locations are pretty awesome. The structure within training and also maintaining your actual job, it just makes more sense that way. Um, the benefits are pretty nice, I guess. We don't really have special perks. Like People always ask me if I get like discounts on flights. That never happens for air travel controllers because we don't work directly for an airliner. Right. So we're kind of like screwed on that. Even though we control all their planes and we make sure we land them all, we don't <laughs> yeah. get anything out of that. Yeah. <laughs> so let's go over a few like quick hit questions. One okay. would be: Are you allowed to go uh, get up and go pee whenever you want, or do you have to stay there? Um, kind of have to stay there if we know we're gonna be in position. We don't usually stay in position for more than an hour. So, like, we don't usually stay. We don't usually work more than an hour of local ground or flight data all at once. So we get breaks every now and then. If we have to go, like if it's like an emergency, then the supervisor, the guy that's watching everybody within the tower cab environment, he's watching like ground flight data and local. He'll probably take in for like a second and start working your stuff till you come back and then you can come back and continue working. Um, That or you just quickly call somebody up from downstairs that's on break like, hey, Gabe needs to go do this and that. (laughs) And then they'll come up. It'll just be a quick brief. We just sit there and make sure I'll make sure the new person coming in knows what they're doing and they have the picture of what's going on. So once they have all that, I unplug and I'll just leave and go downstairs. Okay, cool. Um, How about pay? You said that there's a difference in pay between on the government side and on the non-government side. What would be an example of pay for each? Okay, so the contract towers, they they actually, it's all in location right now. Um, when I worked in San Francisco, it wasn't that much, but it's still more than the average contract controller gets because it's locate, the San Francisco location is expensive. Um, so they make anywhere between like 25 to $35 an hour just starting pay, and that's just 40 hours a week. Um, whereas once you're in the FAA, there are different levels they have. Um, normally people start off in like a level seven tower they make about the same as a contract tower, but it's so easy to like move up on that pay scale. And they're really good at it too. Like you'll be certified in one position. And then once you get the other one that your pay gets bumped up a little bit, whereas contract world, it's just flat. Like right now I'm making like uh, $33 an hour. It's just flat that no matter what, like okay. what happens. Yeah. And then the government, like I said, once you're certified in more positions, the more money you'll get bumped up to. The more you work there, the your pay increases also. What do those different levels and different certifications do for you? Um, it's kind of like building, it's just building your resume and stuff like that. You know, it's typical like work stuff. Um, they, what else do they do? I don't know, it's just better knowledge on the situation. And it can, you can also bump up to other towers. Like here at, uh, let's say... Uh, Portland, I think they're about a, a level nine tower. And once I'm certified at a level nine, I could bump up and go to like SeaTac. And I think it's a level 10. No, I think it's level nine also. Or I could go to like LAX. That's a, a level, I think, 11. A lot more pay. It's a lot busier, but you still, you you built yourself up to that knowledge and you're able to prove you can work busier traffic, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And from there, you can go on to other facilities and stuff too. And if you go FAA route, then do you get pension as well? Um, that's always a very weird subject. It changes a lot. 
with each generation. I don't really know what's going to be happening with my cycle. So, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Who's to say? Like Social Security. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It changes. (laughs) Yeah. So one thing that we didn't really cover very much is how exactly you got started. You said you started with the Air Force. I mean, did you know somebody? Like, I've until you, (laughs) I had never met anyone that was an air traffic controller. So how'd this all happen for you? I was very lucky. I guess back in the day, um, they had low manning in the uh, air traffic control world for the Air Force. So when I took my ASVAB, I scored high enough for air traffic control, along with other jobs. And I picked air traffic control because I uh, didn't want to do whatever other jobs they offered me, which I can't remember. It was some, some computer stuff, and I really don't remember, but I just remember being, just knew what air traffic was and thankfully i picked i think it's the best job with the military they offer yeah that's awesome so i got that and like i said i was a natural went through training with no real setbacks and yeah here i am now so what type of person do you would you recommend maybe look into being an air traffic controller what type of person i guess on the other end would you recommend like do not become an air traffic controller Okay, so, like, the stereotype for air traffic controllers, there's, like, this thing where we're all alpha-like types. We have, we're simply that, we're very controlling people. Like, um, we know what what's wrong. We're able to admit our faults, too. That's another thing that's, that we need to do. Um, like, if you kind of know me, I... Sometimes, I, actually, most of the time, I turn into the person that takes control over groups, and I've always been like that since I was a kid. Like I've always like I was I was always Mister Popular. I was always like this and that. This is how I want things done. Yeah, I was always, like in my there student go. government, <laughs> and I was just like that person in my family who just like wanted this and I got it done and made it happen. And I think those types of people are great controllers, the ones that know what they want and how to get it. They're just that simply A types. They can also they also call us like we're all a bunch of assholes. We're all full of ourselves and stuff like that. <laughs> I was like, well, we kind of have to be like we yeah, can't just be like with the pushovers. Bad. Yeah, and um, a lot of the other stereotypes. Yeah, there's are there are controllers that fall into that. They're just kind of like grumpy old dudes, and all they do is control. They go home and they just kind of don't do much other than gripe and just they're just grumpy people you know there are some like that but so it sounds like assholes in general like calling all assholes if you're an (laughs) asshole you should definitely think about being an air traffic controller yeah then you're you'll probably you'll probably be a good controller (laughs) (laughs) awesome man perfect so how would you recommend a normal person um not in the military get into being an air traffic controller um well lately with that the um, FAA opened up off the street, like just normal people applying to become an air traffic controller. And they have those applications out, but they only come out like, I would say this past time, it was just once this past year they had it open. It was like on usajobs.gov, I believe. Yes, it was. It was on usajobs.gov and you just set up a, an account on there and just put like air traffic control and then it'll send you email alerts for every time there's an opening or something like that. So they have that going on. Um, there were times when back in the day, what I've heard was, um, say like somebody, there's this one guy, he's a, he was a firefighter at the time and he just knew a guy who worked at the tower. He took a tour 
And they're like, yeah, we have some openings, this and that. You should put in your name and this. And sure enough, like a couple weeks later, he was hired. And those are like super rare occasions, but I've heard stories that actually works. Yeah, probably easier than going through the uh, thousands of people applying online with the government thing, right? Yeah. Try to network your way in, I guess. Uh, this cycle, this time around, they actually have it more controlled, and they're using the FA or the USAJobs.gov website. People apply, and they rank people off of. Oh, there's also like a series of questions too that basically ask that, like, what were you like growing up? Like, if this happened, how would you control it, or how would you handle the situation? Um, there's also like. Um, like past like drug requirements and stuff like that. They need to know everything basically. Um, but yeah, there is pretty neat. It's a whole new cycle this time around. I'm really not too familiar. I don't really know how it works compared to the last cycles. Cause I just never really had to apply last. Yeah. So basically just answer the questions to make yourself sound like a really popular asshole and you'll probably <laughs> nail the test and you'll get the job. Yeah, that's pretty much it. That's what I've been telling some friends and sure enough, they've been getting calls back and stuff. <laughs> Those are good friends. Awesome. Yeah. Man. All right, Gabe. Thanks so much, man. We appreciate all the advice. Yeah, no problem.